couple of weeks ago, uh, we were putting in a new kitchen sink, uh, which involved naturally uh, a little bit of plumbing work. And uh, if you don't know me, uh, I am notoriously not handy. Uh, however, as I'm aging in life and trying to be a, uh, a decent uh, human being and husband, I inch my way forward trying to take on little projects at a time to see what I can do. And so I look at uh, what I needed to do before me and I said, you know what, I can do this. And so I did what we all know to do when we don't know what to do and I YouTubed it. And so in approximately three minutes and 27 seconds, I became a expert in kitchen sink plumbing. And so I uh, got on, you know, the uh, assumed the position of getting on your back, the plumbing position, and I began to dismantle uh, our old sink, garbage disposal, and piping. Now, I know what you're thinking. You know, some guys wear Carhartts, maybe at least a pair of work jeans. But for me, I like to do my manual labor in my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle pajama pants. For those listening online and can't see what's happening on the screen. Uh, I don't know, I just think it gives me that extra edge when I'm going into something tough. And so I, I dive in and as I'm laying under there, uh, one of the things that the uh, YouTube video told me I would have to do, and which I understood fully uh, both in my sense of audio and my sense of visual, but didn't capture in the video the, um, the sense of smell and taste so much. <laughs> was uh, this little thing called a P-trap. And some of you know what this is. Uh, it is a pipe shaped like a sideways letter P that is meant to capture sewage from going up your sink and thus into your house. And so uh, as I was getting in there, one of the things that I found to my surprise was A, just how full that thing is. That it is literally like brim to brim with the goodness inside. B, how awful that smell would be, and then see just how awesome a sensation it would be to have a little bit of that sewage slosh right there on my lower lip. <laughs> Let's just say it wasn't Christmas spirit coming up over that, over that pipe. You know, and I think... I think for a lot of us, Christmas uh, can be a lot like this. That on the surface, everything is new, everything is great. You know, we've got Christmas decorations and Christmas music and Christmas trees and Christmas lights and Christmas cookies and Christmas presents and Christmas parties and all of this. Even Christmas coffee. I'd even know you could take something that's just supposed to taste like it's supposed to taste and make it actually taste like Christmas. But there is Christmas blend coffee. And so everything's great on the outside, but all too often, Underneath the surface, if you will, of all that's decorated to, to look good on the surface, it's not always the reality when we get underneath it all. When you get up under the new sink, uh, if you will, within uh, our Christmas seasons, we discover often a great deal of sewage, stress, and mess. You know, for one, our, our relational nerve endings are just shot as we try to comprehend and connect and all the relational pieces we have to connect this time of year and who it is we're supposed to buy gifts for and who we're not and then what we're supposed to do and what level and all of that mix. And it becomes very quickly not about the joy of giving anything and just about the joy of getting our shopping list completed. Uh, that in and of itself is a good thing. 
beyond that, we are, a lot of us, stretched financially, buying these gifts that, uh, at a time of year that maybe we can't afford. Another thing that's packed out is our schedules. You know, we've got recitals and get-togethers and, and, and parties that really feel more like a prison sentence than they do a party opportunity because we're trapped in these schedules until we are released sometime in the beginning of January. And so these are the things that we all face as far as the stress of Christmas uh, and the season that it can bring underneath the surface of all the decorated up stuff. But really, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Because the real stress and the real mess for many of us, uh, or for some of you in the room today, it's, it's the loss of a loved one this past year. And uh, for some of you, this will be your first Christmas season uh, without your spouse by your side. Uh, for some of you, it'll be the first Christmas without mom or dad or maybe grandma or grandpa there uh, with you all to celebrate. For many, it's the unique challenges of uh, broken uh, and or in some cases now blended families, which uh, leave us under the surface just emotionally as well as on the surface physically spread thin as we're literally divided under many roofs this Christmas. For others, it's Uh, the case of an illness or an injury that has either left you or maybe someone you love uh, just with a, just a dark cloud that covers this Christmas season for you. And so it's a lot and it's heavy when you get below the surface. Uh, On the lighter side though, you know, it's not just for adults, you know, even, even kids have their own fair measure of stress this time of year because they're all of a sudden in a way like none other throughout the year acutely aware of this thing called a naughty and a nice list that they want to make sure that they're on the right side of. And if that's not stressful enough, now, apparently over the last few years, Santa has developed this secret agent who goes by the alias of Elf on a Shelf, who watches to find out just how naughty or nice the kids are being. And I don't know if you guys have, but this thing is the freakiest doll I've ever seen. That even though his eyes are always turned to the side, it's like no matter where I go, like he always is watching me. And so it's the creepiest thing. And then if that's not stressful enough, for those of you, I don't know if there's any kids in the room, what do you never, ever, never, ever do to the elf? Sorry, those online just verbally will not get that. That's just too bad. <laughs> For those who don't know, you don't ever touch the elf. It's uh, the ultimate offense. You might not get Christmas presents. All kinds of awfulness happens if you touch the elf. And so all of us, young and old, no one is protected. Uh, you know, despite, you know what we say and send on the covers of these Christmas cards, this is supposed to be a season of love and joy. Uh, it often is anything but love, joy, comfort, and certainly not peace. Uh, and all too often, you could say that Christmas, instead of being spelled with an M-A-S at the end, we could often spell it with an M-E-S-S as we face uh, often a Christmas each year when this time rolls around. And so it's, 
It's in recognizing this reality that we all talk about, at least on the, on the tip of the iceberg, but we don't always talk about at the, at the deeper levels, that we want to gather each week at least one hour out of the 168 hours of the week where the culture is bombarding us with their version of Christmas that we all at some level have fallen into. And we want to gather together as a church and be reminded and push back on the culture's perspective of how we're supposed to approach Christmas and usher into, invite into our lives the perspective of the one whom we supposedly cognitively at least know but functionally want to fight to make this season about and that is Jesus Christ. And so the way that God chose uh, to push back the perspective of culture for us and to usher in his perspective of bringing Jesus Christ not only into humanity 2,000 years ago but also for us here as a reminder today is through several characters that we see on our mantles uh, not only in Elf but often in a nativity scene. And that we've been looking through scripture and the story of Christmas and the, uh, the people which God chose to work in and through to give us a different perspective on not just the season of Christmas, but frankly, for all the seasons that we face in life. And so last week, we looked at the character of Mary, and this week, we're going to look at the character of Joseph and the perspective that God wants to give us this Christmas through the perspective that Joseph was able to gain. And so we're going to look at that perspective in the book of Matthew chapter 1. And so if you have a, a device that's smart enough to do it or a Bible of your own, you can uh, turn there with us. If not, there's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you that you can use today. Uh, and we'd say if you don't have a Bible of your own at all, uh, please take that as a, a gift from us to you to have your own Bible. And so Matthew chapter one, we're gonna see the story of Joseph's role in this character, or excuse me, in this story, who frankly, again, not a character at all, but a real person in a real place in time, just ordinary like you and me that God chooses to use. And the role that he plays in this story is the role of the adoptive father of Jesus. Because if you know the story, Jesus uh, was born of a virgin, Mary, and then who was placed there by the Holy Spirit. And so we know the story. We know kind of the nativity spot, spot where Jesus comes and we're all gathered around. But what's the backstory? How do we get Joseph to this little spot here in the nativity? See, what's the, the dots that connect him from being a guy who was pledged or um, you could say engaged to be married to Mary that gets him to the point of being the adopted, or excuse me, the adoptive dad of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that's the story we're gonna look at. And what we're gonna find pretty quickly in the story is that Joseph had quite a mess. He had his own Chris mess, if you will. And we're gonna see how that parallels to the messes we face. And then arguably the most important thing, what's God's perspective? And what can God teach us in the midst of our life's mess as we learn from Joseph? And so with that, we're gonna read that story together, starting in verse 18 of Matthew chapter one. Story is this way. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother was pledged to be married to Joseph. Okay, before I go any further, I do want to stop there. Because right here in the point of the story, at the beginning of the story, figuratively speaking, it's Christmas for Joseph. I mean, you think about it. He's got the love of his life. He's engaged to be married. You know, they're making all the, the wedding details. They're picking out the reception venue. They're picking out, you know, the wedding dress and the wedding color scheme and the flower arrangements. And I mean, if we're honest, guys, actually Mary and her mother are probably handling all that. Um, However, Joseph's all in for like the taste testing stuff. Like, hey, yeah, let me taste where we're gonna have that reception dinner and the caterers and the rehearsal dinner and the cake. I wanna do that. And so he does that. Uh, you know, every evening he's up, you know, checking out Expedia.com. And he's looking at trying to find that perfect honeymoon cabin on the Sea of Galilee Carnival Cruise. 
And so by all accounts, for Joseph, it's Christmas. I mean, things could not be better. And so let's read on that story. As verse 18 continues, but. I'm gonna stop there. Because that's the word you don't wanna see when things are going well. When you hear or when your life, when everything's going great, but then you see those three letters, B-U-T, but that is not the word you wanna see. And we're about to see why for Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to read between those lines. We see, and frankly, less than one verse, in the length of a tweet, if you're you're a Twitter, in less than 140 characters, Joseph's world is completely turned upside down. That Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, all's well, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. You actually can tweet that because it's only 101 characters that it takes for Joseph's world to completely be turned upside down. And that's not that surprising actually for us because we know that. We know it doesn't take much. It doesn't take more than a tweet. It doesn't take more than that email. It doesn't take more than that test result, that text, that all of us are are, are a mere phone call away from our worlds being turned upside down. And as we've recognized, I know for many of you in the room today, both personally and those I don't know, that has been your story this year going in to this Christmas season. And so given this, given that our worlds get turned upside down, that Joseph's world is turned upside down in the the midst of his mess, let's take a look at what God then, most importantly, wants to do to change Joseph's perspective on his mess and thus what he wants to speak to in ours. So let's read on verse 19. It says, that because Joseph, Mary's husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And what this means, why he means committed to the law, that in Jewish law, Mary actually could have been stoned to death. He could have had her stoned to death for her infidelity and uh, the disgrace of becoming pregnant outside of her relationship to Joseph. Yet, Joseph, to his credit, even before all this unfolds, uh, you could say, to use the phrase, he was the bigger man in this setting, in this circumstance, in this mess. Because Joseph still, uh, as we can try to get inside of his mind, he was still a man who loved her, was committed to care for her. And so even in the midst of what, again, granted through limited understanding of him at the time, as all he knew, she had deeply disgraced, offended him, and certainly wounded him. But yet, chose that he would, quote, not expose her to public disgrace and would just divorce her quietly. And so that's the setting that Joseph finds himself in and his world turned upside down. Verse 20, but, ah, and so there's that word again. And so when things are good, it's the last word we want to see, but when things are bad, that's exactly what we're after. A nevertheless, but, after he, Joseph, picking up in verse 20, had considered doing this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from 
the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that, quote, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's a game changer. For Joseph, that's a game changer, that even in the midst of his premarital mess, that even in the midst of, again, for you today, in the midst of your Christmas that might be spelled with an M-E-S-S, nevertheless, Christ is in the midst of that mess. And for Joseph, that mess for Joseph, God was teaching Joseph. He was revealing to Joseph what he was up to, something bigger than he could possibly comprehend, even in the midst of his life's worst mess. I personally remember learning this lesson uh, in a profound way a number of years ago. Uh, in my early 20s, uh, as I've gone through what I now affectionately refer to as my quarter-life crisis. Uh, I think our 20-somethings, we, we, have, we do have to enter into this spot where we grow up and we take responsibility, and there can be some challenges to that. And for me, it was, uh, it was pretty deep. It was a season of struggle and depression and everything in the mix without getting in all of it. But um, it was also a time where I also happened to be brand new on staff here at the church. And so this was about 11 years ago. And I remember um, being at the bottom of my mess, actually in our senior pastor's office, in Wayne's office, and amidst several things he had to say, there were nine words that he said on that day that was a tipping point and an understanding not only in the midst of that mess, but frankly, I've tapped into and you know, the life messes that keep coming and I'm confident will continue to tap into all the days of my life that I wanna to give to you today as you face the messes that you face in your life. And these nine words were simply this. Don't miss. Even in the midst of all this mess, don't miss what God is teaching you in this. Don't miss what God is teaching you in the midst of your mess. And I can stand here before you today assuring you I did not miss what God wanted to teach me and refine in me as a result of my mess. And bottom line, in a simple way, you could boil it almost down even those nine words to one word that I tapped into. One word that I learned, one word that is, uh, makes Christmas more than a story and very, very real for me and I pray very, very real for you. And it's right there in our passage, right there in verse 23. That one word that can sum up those nine words, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. That what God taught Joseph in the midst of his premarital mess, that what God taught me in the midst of my quarter life mess, what God is teaching you even in the midst of your Christ mess that regardless of the details of that teaching, it all starts with Emmanuel, that God is actually with you in the midst. If we could sum up a sermon in a word, that would be the sermon, that would be the message, that would be the reality of all Christmas, that God is most certainly with you in the midst of your mess. And so, you're not alone. In fact, that's what happened at Christmas, that God was so committed to be with us that he actually, as we've said in other settings already in the last 
you know, 30 minutes together, he stepped out of his place in heaven into the form of a human being to subject himself to being a baby and to subject himself, frankly, to a life of a mess that would be the ultimate mess on a cross to save us from our mess. Yes, both in this life and all for eternity. The reality of Emmanuel is that our God is not a God who's far off somewhere, someplace, but that he is with us through the now, as obviously Jesus has gone back into heaven, the now power of what is his Holy Spirit, that God is with each and every one of us and all of us together. That is the power of Emmanuel that continues beyond Jesus' birth into our reality here today. And so, recognizing that as we pointed to different messes that we all face this time of year. Uh, you know, I, obviously I have no idea what your particular mess is. And beyond recognizing God is with you, uh, not exactly sure what God is all wanting to teach you in the midst of your mess. But I do know this, that when it comes to tapping into that reality, when you really wanna practically, okay, I wanna find out what God's teaching me in the midst of this mess, the way that you do that, the way that it was done for Joseph, is simply this, that is you've got to draw near to God. You have to be intentional in drawing near to God. That was the practical application of Joseph. When God showed up, when he drew near to God and what he had to show, we find him living out the reality of God being with him to bring in the reality of God being with us uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so how do we not miss what God wants to teach us? We've got to draw near to him. And what's interesting about that application is the source that it actually comes from in that this isn't words I came up with, but this is actually a quote directly uh, from the book of James in scripture. And James, uh, who wrote James, uh, actually, relative to our story, is the half-brother of Jesus and the biological son of Joseph. And so the biological son of Joseph says this in James 4.8. He said, just as his dad experienced, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And James also says when it comes to drawing near to God in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your mess, that this is the way we can understand it. This is a great passage. James 1, 2. James says you can actually consider it joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, actually whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And you know this. If you've, God's seen you through a trial, you remember, you know that you would not get to where you are at today had you not been brought through that mess that God brought you through. That is only through those difficult times that we can grow in these, in these unique ways that perseveres our faith, that strengthens our faith. And so James goes on, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. You may be mature and complete in your faith, not lacking anything. And as profound as that perspective is on our life's messes, I can't help but wonder, and I can't bring any evidence to it, but I wonder how much was James actually aware of the story that his dad lived so many years prior and having to go through the mess of marrying his mother, of his dad marrying his mother in the midst of ushering into uh, humanity the savior of the world. You gotta wonder how much of this, just knowing how we're shaped by our parents, shaped James. But as he's shaped and we're shaped, we recognize that in our life's messes, that when we face them, that we wanna do what James says. We wanna not miss what God is teaching us in the mix. We wanna draw near to him and we wanna persevere in those trials. And he goes on to say this, in light of all that, 
Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. The son of Joseph says, not only hear what God has to say, but do what it says. Don't listen to this like we are this morning. Don't just hear the word of God and remain unchanged, assuming we've done something because we've heard it. But no, be obedient to it. Do what it says. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about that in this way around here. We've said that we recognize that our growth, our spiritual growth, doesn't come as a result of just theological information, but instead through life transformation, that we mature spiritually whenever we take what we hear, that spiritual, or excuse me, that theological information, whenever we take what we hear, and James 1.22, do what it says when we obey. And so the landing of not missing what God wants to do within the midst of our mess, to not miss what God is teaching us, is to ensure that we not only listen, but that we functionally do what it says, even in the midst of our mess, whatever that may be. And again, we're encouraged because that's exactly what James's father, Joseph, did when it came to his mother, Mary. Verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did. Most important word in all of this. He actually did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. Joseph obeyed. In all of our seeking of God, that is always the game changer, that we would not just hear, but that we would actually obey, obedience. And so, as we are reminded of this perspective of Emmanuel, of allowing God who is with us as we draw near to him, for him to draw near to us and not miss what he's teaching us and then functionally go and live out and do what he's called us to do, I'm reminded that as we are reminded, for many of us who follow Jesus Christ in this room, not everyone, but many of you do, that for many of us, this again, this serves as a one-hour reminder to hopefully have an impact on the other 167 hours in a week as to what Christmas is supposed to be about for those who follow him. But we must not forget that this message of Emmanuel is not just a message to serve as just a reminder for those of us who already follow him. But this message, this good news, is also for those who don't yet know Emmanuel, who don't know the reality and the implications of Jesus actually being with them this Christmas season. That we have the responsibility, as the song says, to go and tell, to go and tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born, that he is Savior and Lord, and that he is with us. And so recognizing that, you know, not just at Christmas, but all year round and frankly for all of existence of this church and for the rest of the existence that this church will be, that is our calling, that is what God has placed on us to be and to do for this community here in church. And so if you're unfamiliar, uh, we've been in the midst of uh, a vision that God's called us to, to pursue, that we are being called to reach 10% of our community over the next 10 years with this message of Emmanuel, that our community would know that God is with them through Jesus Christ. And so as we recognize that, that mantle, that opportunity to share that message that many of us are being reminded of today, there are three ways uh, this Christmas season that we can all participate in bringing the message of Emmanuel that God wants to be with the people of our community, uh, not only this Christmas season, but frankly, all the seasons of their life and all of their eternity. And so one way in which we are able to do that today is through our resources, that over the last several weeks, you've heard that as we are stepping into, you could say, year one of a 10-year vision that God's called us to, that we're going to receive a, a special offering here as we step in to what God's calling us to be and to do to reach our community with, um, you could say, some seed funds to A, 
create more kids' ministry space to actually allow us to reach more families uh, than, we, than, than we've reached to this point here uh, in our church, as well as uh, we're launching, the second part of it is we're launching a brand new ministry center right in the middle of our Adopt-A-Block area where actually Pastor BJ and his family will live and operate a uh, essentially as missionaries in that space, living among. In fact, you could just say he is and his family are going to be the representation of what Emmanuel is all about. That as God uh, in the form of Jesus Christ is God with us, he and his family and among our work along with them are going to live out the opportunity to be also with the people and the community and the families we are trying to reach. And so... Uh, here at the end of the service, we are going to receive our regular tithes and offerings, as well as the special year-end gifts as we step in to 10. And so to participate, you can actually use uh, those step-in envelopes that look like this that are in the back of uh, the pew rack there in front of you. Uh, and you can mark on there uh, that, your, your, that your gift's enclosed. Or if you feel led to participate but are not prepared to do so today, you can also mark on there uh, your commitment to participate by the end of the year. And so that's one way in which we can all together begin to, as a church, do what God's calling us to do, to share that message of Emmanuel with our community, both through the block and in reaching more families. A second way that we can all together share this good news, spread this message of Emmanuel, to go tell it on the, you know, maybe not the mountain, but the flatlands of Illinois, is to actually, within our community, uh, invite someone, invite an unchurched family member, friend, or acquaintance uh, this Christmas Eve to one of our six identical Christmas Eve services. And uh, that's more Christmas Eve services than we've ever done on a Christmas Eve. And we wanted to do, do that to ensure that you not have the experience, and we know what it's like because it happens occasionally, that we're, we don't want you to bring a guest and not have room for them. So we want to make sure we have plenty of room for your guests and our guests so that when we bring them for what you could say walking in might be something they acquiesce to. You know, someone who doesn't come to church, the most likely time that they might come to church is probably a Christmas Eve service because it's tradition, right? You know, if you're gonna go do something on Christmas Eve, you know, the least you could do maybe is walk into a church service. But here's our commitment. Here's what our plans are for that night. That even though you bring someone who might be walking through those doors just expecting the tradition of going to a Christmas Eve service, uh, we can ensure that what they will hear on that night is A, the message of Jesus Christ who came to be with us through the story of scripture as we've been reflecting on over several weeks. And most importantly, we wanna sum it up for them in one word. That everyone would walk out those doors, even if they walked in looking for tradition, we, that they would walk out not missing, not having the opportunity to hear Emmanuel. That God came to be with them, both in this life and for all of eternity and that they want to hear that message, and we pray and hope that they would accept it, um, if not that night and the days ahead. And so that's what they're going to hear, that God is so certainly with them. And so to do that, I uh, would ask that you utilize uh, in your program, you'll see a couple of these uh, Christmas Eve invitation cards. Uh, they are not, you know, a BJ, I think, made the joke, you know, they're not for your fridge, they're for uh, the person who you're going to bring. And so use this as, as a way to uh, share what happens here at first and to bring someone or someones uh, this Christmas Eve to one of the six identical services. And so that's two ways that we can get involved in bringing this message of Emmanuel to our community. And then thirdly and lastly, and arguably the most important that really is number one before these other two, is that we must thirdly and firstly, depending on how you look at it, embrace and live out this message of Emmanuel in our own lives. 
that if we're gonna effectively share something with someone else, the only effective way to do that is to effectively have owned it and lived it, the fullness of it ourselves. And so in your life, as you go, recognize that even in the midst of your Chris mess, uh, it's not saying we don't have messes if, we're, if we follow Jesus. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So everyone's on an equal playing field. We'll all have messes in our lives. But there is a difference. There is a difference for us who have the hope of Jesus Christ in our lives. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 actually says it this way. It says, brothers and sisters, do not grieve. Don't go through trials and struggles like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Now, it doesn't say... You don't go through them, you don't experience them, you don't feel the full weight and the depth of struggle and pain, so don't misunderstand that passage. But nevertheless, even in the midst of the full weight of that pain, there is a difference. There is a hope in Jesus Christ, both in what he can actually functionally do in that mess right here in our temporary circumstances here on earth, but also an eternal hope of what we know ultimately he will do in the midst of all of our messes because of our eternal understanding of what he's gonna do in all of our lives forever, as we sang earlier. And that reality is uh, actually represented quite well in the Christmas account of John, the Gospel of John, chapter one, verse five, that says simply this, the light has come. The light has come. That uh, in not a, very, like a metaphorical sense, we sometimes say there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but we're reminded in the Gospels in Jesus Christ that that light has come, and that light, in a very real way, shines in the darkness. And the darkness does not overcome it and so live in that reality not saying be fake about your pain but be honest about your Christmas perspective your life's perspective and cling to and hold on to that perspective of hope that Jesus Christ has in the midst and that will be the greatest witness the greatest invitation the greatest opportunity we have to share the reality of God with us to our community our friends our family who don't know a reality of God with them this Christmas and so that's what God's called us to be that's what God's called us to do, to take this reality of Emmanuel that we are being reminded of today here in this short hour and to bless, to share, to give, to extend it to a community that so desperately needs it here in central Illinois. And so it's hard work, <laughs> it's a lot. And uh, the good news is, is that when God calls us to do something, he doesn't call us to go do it alone, but he calls us to the reality that we've talked about all morning long, that he is with us. He is with us in what he's called us to do. And so the way we tap into that, as it says in James, uh, that we want to draw near to God and we're gonna invite him to draw near to us. So let's uh, uh, take some time here to, to pray together about these things as uh, both we prepare to receive the offering and the step-in gifts here this morning and really just ask that we would receive everything that God has for us and all that he wants us to be and do in sharing this message of Emmanuel with our community, friends, and family. So let's pray together in that. Father, first and foremost, we do pray for our lives in this room to be uh, not just informed, but transformed. That the greatest witness that we have for you um, before any of our words leave our mouth will be the reality of living out and experiencing you, Emmanuel, you with us in the midst of our life's mess. And so, Father, may that be uh, the case. I pray for everybody here in this room today and the messes that they face this Christmas season. May you show yourself in a powerful way that they might not miss what you are teaching them here uh, in this season of their life, for all the seasons of their life. Father, with that, out of the overflow of, of it being real for us, I pray that we would have the courage uh, to bring someone or someones 
uh, to a Christmas Eve service to, to hear more about how your church uh, is to live out this message of Emmanuel that you are with us. And so I ask for direction on who it is we're supposed to bring and, and, um, and that we would be able to, to bring them on Christmas Eve. And then lastly, God, in the season of giving and receiving, we now give back to you uh, in an effort uh, to recognize that we are asking your kingdom to come, your will to be done right here on earth, just like it is in heaven and the ways in which you've called us to do that uh, through uh, being able to reach more families here at our church and getting involved in the uh, block in a, in a brand new way. We thank you for these opportunities that you've called us to be a part of this exciting uh, opportunity to be a part of your work here on earth and we need your help with it. And so that is why we pray. And so would you lead us uh, in all these endeavors and may we follow through our obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.